All right. Good morning. Um, I'm going to ask a real quick favor. <clears throat> if you are a man, will you please stand up? So if you have the X and Y chromosome, stand up. Young, old. Got all our men standing? Okay. One of the things that we do very often is that we will we'll focus in on something like Father's Day. And to those fathers, happy Father's Day. What I want to do is I want to expand the influence. I want to expand it to, if you are a man, God has called you to be an influencer in your sphere of influence. And so if I may, I want to pray for each of the men, young, middle, old. I want to pray God's covering over you and blessing over you, and then we'll jump into the word together. So, so church, join your hearts with me as I pray. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for the different walks of life that they have. Thank you for the different spheres of influence that you've put them into. Thank you that you have equipped them to be resources. You've equipped them to be vessels through which you can make yourself known to our community, to our church, to our workplaces, to whatever sphere of influence these men find themselves in. So, Father, I pray for your anointing. I pray for your covering. I pray that they would know, see, taste you, God, and know that you are good. And they would make that known with those around them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, man. You may be seated. Well, we are, uh, this morning we are starting, this is part two of, of a series. Bob Cole did a fantastic job last week of starting into some of the, uh, the effects or the curses that the law brings us. And so we thought, how fitting for Father's Day, but to come back and talk about more curses of the law, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. Um, you see, I, I've, I've entitled this The Blessing of the Curse. And so we're going to unpack that as we reason through Scripture that hopefully we as the body of Christ will, will leave this place encouraged, okay? Not downtrod, but rather encouraged by God's Word, encouraged by the message, like Tom said, that has been specifically designed for you. My prayer every time that I get to open the Word of God before the body of Christ is that he would empty me of me and simply use me as a vessel to speak his truth to your life. The beauty is that even though written thousands of years ago, the application of God's Word is still as applicable today as it has ever been from the, the very first stylus brought to the paper. And so we're going to look at uh, Bob, like I said, did a fantastic job of covering two of those curses that the scriptures talk about when we try and operate underneath the, the works of the law. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack three more for you. So um, before I do, would you join your hearts with me one more time um, as we come, come to his word. Father, thank you for this morning. And as I've said, I, I empty me of me and pray that you would use me as your vessel to speak your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would have already been active in engaging the hearts of the men and women in this room, that you've already been in, in preparation that they'd be able to receive exactly your message for them. Help me be forgotten so that your name is lifted high. And it's in that very name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians 2, 16. Um, if you don't have, even if you do, I'll read it aloud for us. It says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? That should be an element of, whew, 
Okay, we can see that the justification of a person is not through works. The justification, the ability for us, let me rephrase it this way. Another way to say justification is counted righteous. Doesn't that get a little closer? You think justified, it just, it's almost kind of distanced from us in our mind. But if I tell you it's counted as righteous, oh, that draws a little closer. So what does the scripture says? It says that no one person will be counted righteous, how? By works of the law. Works is anything that we do or anything that is to be done. So it's a pretty blanket statement when we look at works here. So again, if we were to rewrite it, it would say, not rewrite, but just repackage. Yet we know that a person is not counted righteous by anything that they do or anything they have done. Okay, so that's the works. And then the law, in this particular context, is a rule producing a state by which we're approved of God. Meaning, an observance of a rule with which we become approved. So what we see in Galatians is that not one person can be counted into their account righteousness by anything they do to try and get God to be pleased with them. Doesn't that hit your heart a little bit differently than just the text itself? See, you've got to dig into these words and see what's the context? What's, what's the message that God has for us in this text? And what it is here, and he, it's almost like it screams off the page. You guys, you have to know this. You cannot be made righteous in what you do or don't do to try and please God. Now, I see a lot of north-south in here. You're in agreement. Absolutely, between your ears, you agree with this. And yet, 30 seconds out the door, we lose that. We forget. We think that somehow, if I just do, my God will love me a bit more. And the reason I'm starting here, I'm starting back in Galatians 2, is because there has to be a runway that's laid before the plane takes off. So before we start looking into the good, encouraging stuff of the curses— we have to know what happened to us. How did we get into the state that we find ourselves? How were we made righteous? The scripture tells us. Look at, it, look at continue on in verse 16. But through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, made righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so what we're finding out is that we have the inability. We can't make ourselves righteous. If we would have, if we could have, we would have, right? If we had the ability to do so, if we had the ability to make ourselves righteous, there's not a person in the sound of my voice that wouldn't do it. And yet scripture says you can't do it. You don't have the ability to do so. But, almost a reworking of the text again, when it says, but through faith in Jesus Christ, it should say in the original text, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ is where our righteousness comes. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, as we unpack the scripture, it's not about you. It's about the righteousness of Christ. It's about his faithfulness imparted into you. 
And so what we're going to see as we start unpacking the scripture together is that this loving father, and here's where the blessing of these curses comes about, this loving father puts some things in place for us that will help remind us of when we've forgotten this truth. I love that we look in in 2 Peter, and he says, I'll I'll read it for you real quick. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the, the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. Here's what he's saying. I have to remind you. You're going to forget. I have to remind you constantly and consistently that you can't bring righteousness to yourself. It's not in your ability. That's what's happening in Peter. That's what's happening thousands of years later. We have to be reminded. What my prayer is, is that I will be a vessel to remind you of these things. I will be a, re- a vessel that even in the reminding of you, the Spirit reminds me again, oh, righteousness can't be found in and in, in what I do or don't do. Make sense? Another part of this that's important before we get into the blessingness of these curses is that our God says in Isaiah, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And I will share my glory with no man. I will not give my praise to carved idols. What is that all about? Well, if we come back to the original text here, we come back to this this idea, this notion, this truth that righteousness only comes through the cross. It only comes from the person of Jesus. It only comes when his spirit indwells us. It only comes through faith. And we tie that together with the Old Testament that says, I will share my glory with no man. I will share my glory with no woman. We start seeing a bridging of the gap. To why is this so important? Why do we have to be reminded over and over and over again that righteousness does not come through our behavior? It's because if we somehow think it does, we will take the glory that's rightfully God's and draw it to ourselves. We, we will become a people that say, look what I've accomplished. <laughs> look at what I've done. Look, look at the, the glory do me. And yet we see Isaiah say, I'm the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with another because it's rightfully mine, our God says. So like I said, I want this to be a long runway before the plane takes off to recognize righteousness is only coming from the person of Jesus. And he will put safeguards in our lives as his beloved children, as a loving father would do, so that we can be reminded glory is his. We're to be a reflection of glory unto this person, Jesus. Does that make sense? So that's where we're starting. That, that, that's the beginning of the story. That's, that's where we're starting to get to the end of the runway where we can start taking off. And that will make reference now to these different quote-unquote curses that we look at, we at least have a context of what our God is saying. Our God, a loving Father, says, I'm going to put these safeguards in place that when you see them in your life, it'll alert you. Look at at, uh, Galatians 3, verse 10, if you will. 
says this, Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Praise God, let's close in prayer. Right? It's it's important, again, we look into the original text that this, this idea of curse, it's not like a wizard, okay? That's not, that's not what we're talking here. What the word means is doom or condemnation. So what the scripture is telling us is that those who rely on the works of the law are under doom. They're, they're under condemnation. Now some of us will, will, something will kick in your mind when you think through the scriptures that you've heard or you've read through. It says something about condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none, right? Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what is being shown us in the scripture is that when we choose to operate in a different way, condemnation will come, that which was not intended for you. It's not a fit for you. It's not the right clothes to wear. But if we choose to do something other than what our God has prescribed as best for us, we will experience that in our lives. Make sense? We'll experience doom. We'll experience that, the sense of condemnation that comes with a curse. The first one that I want to look at um, <clears throat> The first safeguard that this loving father puts in place for us as his kids when we try and operate apart from, or we try and get righteousness for ourselves, we try to, try to accomplish our own righteousness, one of the first safety stops, the, the, the safe barriers that he puts up for us is self-righteousness. You break down the word very, very carefully. Righteousness comes from self. Now when you think about if you hear somebody is self-righteous, is that an encouraging description of somebody? No. It's always in the negative, isn't it? That's this idea, oh, he's really self-righteous. You're not going to want to hang out with him. The problem is, if there are two people in the room, one of you is self-righteous. And if you don't know which one, it's probably you. Okay? Meaning that this is rampant in the body of Christ. This is rampant in our homes, trying to gain righteousness from self-effort. Trying to pull it in for our glory that, yes, I accomplish thus and so. I want to give you an illustration that I'll carry through each of these three different areas that will be helpful to put, put a framework on it. When you guys are driving up the hill today and you're coming to church, <clears throat> How many of you drifted out of the lane and you hit those little rumble strips? Anybody hit those in the middle? Yeah, okay, a few honest people. They're in the middle of the road. They're on the side of the road. How many of you, when you hit those, whenever you're traveling on the highway, say, I can't believe DOT put holes in the road and cause this annoying noise every time I try and veer off the road? Does anybody have that conclusion? No. What happens when we hit those rumble strips? Ah! I'm somewhere I'm not supposed to be. I'm going to veer off into the ditch or I'm going to veer into the traffic. It becomes a safety for us when the tires come over and when we hear that noise. These different curses that we're going to look at, I consider as God's rumble strips for our life. 
Meaning he puts these safeguards in place to say, son, I love you. And therefore, I'm going to put this in place that when your tires of life come over and hit this rumble strip, it'll get your attention. And you know quickly that, ah, I'm not supposed to be over here or I'm not supposed to be over here. I'm going to lovingly put these things in place. Like I said, the DOT, you don't curse because they put rumble strips. Every time I've hit those things, I'm like, oh, good. (laughs) That got me back to where I need to be. Do you see that? So as we look through these things, I want you to, to have the mindset that my God knows what's best for me. And because he does that, because he's a good, good father, because he loves me and desires the best for me, he will put these safeguards in place that whenever we hit them, we hear, it gets our attention. We know, ah, something is wayward in here. Something isn't as it should be. We're not operating the vehicle where it's supposed to be operated. And the number one reason that we'll find that, self-righteousness. And the problem is, with self-righteousness, we don't self-diagnose very well. We can pick it up on others, right? We can find it very quickly that, oh my gosh, that guy, that clown, self-right, but we don't see it within ourselves. So it takes at times in our lives to ask the other passengers in our car, have I been riding on the rumble strips lately? Have you seen this show itself in my life that, that I'm missing? Have, have you seen that I'm riding on the rumble strip? Have you seen self-righteousness in me? Now, who's excited to have that conversation? Not many. But yet you see it purifies the church. It continues to refine us more and more into his image when we ask those who know us well. So, to give this a, a scriptural backing, let's look at Galatians 2, verse 21. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification, remember, counted righteous, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Again, I'll break this verse down for us very quickly. Nullify means to displace, to set aside, to annul, to swerve from or reject. So again, you bring our rumble strips into place. I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not swerve from the grace of God. The grace of God is where your vehicle is meant to function. And when I swerve from that, meaning I I come underneath the notion that I can do something to gain righteousness or approval from God again, the rumble strips in place, self-righteousness pops up, and we have the alert in our system to say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't swerve from grace. Remain in my grace. Don't, don't think that if we, if we swerve to the right or to the left, that, that we can gain some type of acceptance by our God or approval by our God. It's already there. It's already been accomplished at the cross that we see all across this room. It's been put in place. Nullified, to displace, set aside, annul, swerve from. We, I, another way to say, I do not swerve from the grace of God. For if righteousness were through rules of the life and, life, of con, life and conduct, then Christ died in vain. He was foolish to die for us if there were somebody in the annuals of history that had the ability to bring righteousness upon themselves. He was a fool to die. But as Scripture testifies, there's no one, not one, that seeks righteousness in and of themselves. 
It has to be brought through the person of Jesus Christ, and that's where our freedom comes. So the first one that we see is self-righteousness. Again, ask those in your sphere of influence. Do you see this in me? Do you, do you see this raising its ugly head? Can you help retune my ears to hear the da 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 when my life gets off center and starts hitting the rumble strips? The idea of self-righteousness is absolutely rooted in pride. It's, it's about self. Self-righteousness. And again, pride is one of those things if you say they're a prideful person, it's not a very good characteristic. And yet we're not very good at evaluators of self. Ask those in your sphere of influence. They'll let you know. So when we look at this idea of, of self-righteousness rooted in pride, remember what Isaiah said? I won't share my glory with another. It's reserved for me. It's not for you. I hold on to my glory, and I won't give my praise to a carved idol. Meaning, the reason a loving father puts the rumble strips in place is, is a constant reminder, glory is going back to him. Glory is back to our Jesus because it's his righteousness that he imparts into us. Make sense? Okay, second one. <clears throat> Let's turn to Galatians 3, 2 through 3. It says this, Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, let me break this down for you. Did you receive the Spirit of the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish? To be foolish means to be unintelligent, unwise, and brutish. Okay? I just love when you start unpacking what these words look like. Foolish, yeah, brutish? I do brutish well. <laughs> and so to hear that, he's saying, guys, it's unwise to do this. It's unwise, and it, and it, again, reinforces the point that we looked at earlier as far as where this righteousness comes. It absolutely enforces to say, it's unfoolish to think. You can, through the works, through the, the efforts that you bring to, this, to the table, make yourself right before this God. And so we, Paul, we see Paul saying to the Galatians that, it is absolutely foolish. It's brutish to do so. So that's what the idea of foolish means. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? An easy way to look at the flesh in the context of this verse is it means human nature or a material system or mode. So again, let me break this down for you. So what we have is a spiritual problem. We're not righteous. We don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. So what he's saying to the Galatians is, you guys, it's brutish to think that you can take a physical answer to a spiritual need. Do you catch that? So what he said, you, you can't put a physical application to something that needs a spiritual answer. Righteousness is a spiritual state. And so when we try and stack things on top of it from the physical mindset, it fails us every time. There's this rub. There's this disconnect where it doesn't work. Here's what it would look like in our rumble strips. Let's say I'm driving up the highway and da 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 I hit again. You know what? I need new tires. I need tires that are going to have perfectly lined grooves that can go right over those rumble strips where there's no noise. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the tires on my car so that I can drive on that rumble strip for miles and never hear it. That's taking a physical problem to a spiritual reality. The cars function perfectly well. The tires are doing exactly what they were designed to. And the rumble strips are in place, not for us to silence, but rather to be alerted by. That's what's happening here. There becomes this destructive responsibility for us to try and fix the vehicle rather than simply allowing God's loving, safe guards in place to draw us, to, to draw us back into right fellowship with him. So don't try and change the tires. <laughs> don't, don't try and look to a physical problem that needs a spiritual answer. And again, we fast forward this is that you can't even make the spiritual answer happen. It has to be about our God. And so when we come to the place that, that we see, I won't share my glory with another. And even in, in me imparting this righteousness, it's, a, it's about me and what I've done. The only response we can have is one of humility. There's no room for pride like we saw in self-righteousness. There's no, no room for trying to fix something physically that spiritually needs answer. Make sense? So you see an element of self-righteousness. Again, two people in the room, you don't know who it is. It's probably you. You also see a destructive sense of a personal responsibility that I have to right the vehicle rather than our God directing the vehicle. It's on me to maintain. Another good way to look at this would be salvation-wise is that we'll see a lot of people in, in Christendom that say, Father, thank you for salvation. Great job. Appreciate it. I'll take it from here. Okay? That, that becomes the mindset. And, and we know that is declared out loud when we start layering on things to try and make ourselves righteous before this God who already accomplished it. Do you see why he can say to the Galatians, you're being brutish. It doesn't make any sense. You're trying to put something on top of something that they don't even go together. Let my righteousness that's been imparted to you be enough as you navigate the, the paths of life. The third thing that we're going to look at this morning, if you turn to Galatians 3.23. Galatians 3.23. And, and we're, you guys, again, we're just hitting the high points of, as, as we're zipping through all of the Galatians. It's just, it's beautiful text. I would absolutely encourage you to go back, soak it in, chew on it. Let it be something where it's, it's, it's being di- diagnosed, it's being dissected in your homes. It's beautiful, beautiful text. But let's look at um, chapter 3, verse 23 for now. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming Father would be revealed. I'm going to go one, one step further, verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified, made righteous, counted righteous by faith. So the third thing that we're going to look at that a loving father puts in place for us in our walk with him, part of the rumble strips on, on the highways of life, if you will, is that there's an element of bondage that will come. Now, we know as we reason through Scripture that we've been set free. We sang about it this morning. We have been set free by the, by the blood of Christ. We've been set free by a victorious Savior that conquered the grave. And yet there are times when we navigate through our lives where we feel this sense of bondage. 
we feel this sense of distraction would be even another simple way to say. And what a loving father has done is he said, I will put safeguards in place that when you see, sense, have those that love you speak into your life and, and call it out in your life, when, you, when these things happen and occur in your life, I'm going to put a did 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 so you can remember to be draw, drawn back in to how I'm to live my life through you. So here's what it looks like. Now before faith came, we were held captive. To be captive means to be kept in a condition of restraint. Now if you think about being put into restraints, if you think about being restrained, and let's just say that you're claustrophobic, what do you want? I want to be unrestrained, right? I, I don't want to be in restraints. I, I don't want to be bound up. I don't want to be imprisoned. And so one of the loving ways that our Father has put the rumble strips into our lives is to say, when we start sensing those things, when we experience those things in our life, again, it's let me remind you, you, you've been set free. There's something wayward in how we're driving through life that needs to be corrected back in light of his word to, to drive and do as we were meant to do. You also see that when it says in prison, it means to be banded under a bar of disability. So that idea of behind bars. So what, what's the scripture say? Before faith came, we were kept in a condition of restraint under the law, imprisoned. We were banded together underneath a bar of disability until the coming faith would be revealed. The beauty is because Christ accomplished what he set out to do, there can be a blessing in this where it writes us back into a true north type lifestyle. Where it, where it writes us back in and says, I'm your righteousness. Stop striving to do this again. Stop striving to try and add to what I've already accomplished. Make sense, people? Think of when you're driving on the highway, and now I know there are some out there that just drive over under rumble strips, and they just stay there for miles just to kind of get their passenger. We're, we're going to take that guy out of the equation, okay? So when you hit the rumble strips and you're driving, what... Is it intentional? How, how do we get there? How do we come to the place where all of a sudden we're too far this way, too far this way, and da 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 hits? Typically because we're distracted. Typically because we're trying to answer the text or we're looking at the mountains or we're looking at the sky. Whatever the case may be, it, it's a good thing for us to hear because it writes the path again. It lines us back up with how we are to live. So one of the things that the enemy would love to keep us spinning our wheels, driving on the rumble strips, is distraction. Distraction looks like this. Allowing the affections of my heart to go to something besides Jesus. Fill in the blank however you see fit. Allows the affections of my heart, the, the true longings and desires of my heart to go to something besides Jesus. That's the enemy's number one attack for us as his kids. That's his number one distraction. And yet the beauty is, 
our God is going to turn this into a blessing that even when the rumble strips are hit, and hit of distraction, oh, my God, it writes the wrong. It writes the path that we are to be on. What a good father that he allows these safeguards in place. What a good father that says, righteousness was accomplished by me and me alone. You don't have to do anything to receive it. You don't have to add on top of it. You don't have to keep the, the, the treadmill moving forward. It's been accomplished. And some of the ways that I'm going to show that to you, some of the ways I'm going to encourage you is that when self-righteousness pops up, it's going to remind you that, oh, righteousness has already been accomplished. When, when a destructive sense of, of responsibility that it's all up to me to keep the plate spinning, I'm going to remind you, no, my righteousness is what makes you right before me. When it comes to the place of distraction or bondage, God's going to use that to remind us again, saying, son, daughter, turn the affections of your heart towards me. See, there's a danger for us in our society when we hear the term, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Tell your heart what it's going to worship. Tell your heart where it's going to focus. When we have a singleness of purpose, the distraction rumble bars don't engage our life. Because I'm telling my heart what to pursue. I'm telling my heart where to set its affections. <clears throat> One of the applications, again, I believe, to this text is um, ask the other passengers in your car, what are some things that are distracting me? What, what are some things that are drawing my attention away? What are, what are some potential bondages that you see that I may be blind to or that my ears are not in tune to? Help me see those things and trust those in your car with you. <laughs> to mention it. So my prayer is, as we've reasoned through the scripture, as we've seen that, yes, a loving and a good, good father puts these safeguards in place for you. Why? Because he knows it's, it's fruitless to try and get righteousness in and of yourself. You already accomplished it. It's done. Don't try and put something physical onto a spiritual reality. It's been accomplished. I pray that will encourage you as men. That will encourage you as women. And that you would be a body of believers that look out one for the other and say, you know what? I've heard some rumble strips in your life lately. Or have you seen any, have you heard any rumble strips in my life? Have you heard these things that God is, is redirecting us back? And I know that the Spirit of God will be faithful to reveal those things and draw you even more and more into the image of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are, in fact, a good, good Father. That you are faithful to your word. You do exactly what you set out to do. And you are faithful to give us those safeguards. You're faithful to, to remind us over and over again that righteousness comes from you and you alone. I pray that we would be an army of people, an army of men and women that go out into the world, that go out into our communities, that go out into our, our homes armed with that truth, that it's your righteousness. And our job simply is one to declare it to all we come in contact with.
In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.